This is Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison. This is the first episode of our second season, and we're picking up where we left off last year, but boy, are we in a strange new world. It took us a couple of months here at Democracy in Color to get our bearings, get our feet on the ground, and, and look up and see what's good and powerful. Unfortunately, the fears of many of us came true, and today we're dealing with not only a Republican-occupied presidency, Congress, and the majority of the state houses. For the first few weeks of 2017, we've been facing the actions of a racist, fascist oligarch attacking Muslims, undocumented our media, as well as our cultural arts. And I know the list of bad news goes on and on, but here's what I want to say to you. We have a path forward. There are shining lights of heart and love and political organizing. Uh, we're going to work this season on Democracy and Color to highlight those doing some amazing work around the country. And a lot of it is happening at the local level. So despite the news cycle, what you see on cable TV, despite what you see on your Facebook feed, there are those of us right now building a politics worth fighting for. We are in this together. We're very fortunate here in Democracy in Color to welcome uh, newly elected Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs to the studio. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, just a, a couple notes. If you don't know him, you better ask somebody. He's the first African-American mayor of Stockton, youngest ever elected to that office, Stanford grad, completed internships at the White House and Google, was elected a few years back in the city council uh, at Stockton right after uh, graduation, came back home to his hometown and has been rocking and rolling, uh, doing the great work in Stockton. So I'm really happy to see you. I haven't seen you in a few months. It's good to see you. Yeah. Uh, how are you holding up uh, this last few weeks? I'm, I'm good. I think the transition, um, given the national landscape and terrain, has been a little more difficult than I had anticipated, um, especially with Stockton having such a huge immigrant community and people being very scared. I'm viscerally confused and hurt. So doing double duty to assure our population, our Muslim brothers and sisters, our immigrant communities that in Stockton, we value their contributions and we need them um, to continue to become our best selves as a community. But that has made the transition a lot more difficult um, than I had thought it would be originally. I can imagine. So what are you hearing from uh, people specifically? A lot, a lot of fear and, and confusion and, and hurt. I, I think in this national conversation, what's being lost is that these are we're attacking people's humanity and their value as human beings on earth. Um, as a former teacher and my fiance, she still teaches and hearing stories about her children wondering if their mom's going to be home when they get back home. Mm. And that's a very real fear. Yeah. And that's, that gets lost in kind of the melee and like the, the crazy announcements and executive orders. But especially for people who aren't part of the political class, who aren't um, incredibly high educated, who get their news from Facebook or from the news stations, it's very scary and very uncertain. So I've been working with the police chief, activist communities, and going to sort of mosques and places like that myself to really share the message about what we stand for as a community and what we, what we won't um, be condoning or tolerating. It sounds like your job one as mayor is to let people know what the value of the city is and what you'll be representing. What do you think the policy prescription is, like, in a, in a city? Because we're, we're talking about federal policy. Um, we're talking about state uh, policy. So what's a city to do? You know, we're doing all we can do. So we clarified our policing policies in terms of our engagement 
um, with ICE and with immigration officers and how we don't stop, arrest, detain folks on suspicion of immigration status. So that's bigger fish to fry um, with violent crime, with property crimes, and that's where our policing resources are going. Um, it looks like creating, thinking through the policy landscape and how do we in- integrate especially immigrant communities into our economic system and base. So it's not necessarily a policy prescription, but working with our existing small business loans and incubation programs, but ensuring we're doing very smart and targeted outreach to those communities that are entrepreneurial but aren't yet part of sort of the mainstream economy. Um, it's looking at, we're using the phrase opportunity agenda so that all our policy prescriptions will come from a lens of how to increase opportunity, especially for those that have been traditionally left out. Um, so with our reentry population, um, our second chance population, working and figuring out how do we remove barriers in employment and housing for them so they're able to f- successfully integrate, reintegrate into society and also working using the, the bully pulpit to work with our private sector in terms of, okay, how do you guys also invest in these guys or in these underserved parts of the city, knowing that it benefits everyone? You know, what do you do uh, when you have now a f- federal, uh, the, you know, the, the ICE is starting to go into cities, uh, and I've been hearing, I don't know if you've been hearing the same stories, setting up at uh, Costco, setting up at uh, intersections, uh, going to people's homes and asking everyone in the home for an ID, not just one person. I mean, what do you do when you've got a federal agency that's going into the city and maybe even your city uh, with these kind of activities targeting and trying to, you know, do these sweeps looking for undocumented people? We're in um, uncharted waters. Um, so for us, it, it, ha- it hasn't happened, but the rumors have. Um, so I spend a lot of hours just saying, no, that's not true. This is not an immigration checkpoint. This is not this. This is not that. Um, and in the event those things do happen, we've been working, I've been working with our activist community, our lawyer communities to set up sort of legal recourses and, and systems and programs so folks can get help when that happens. And also just talking with other mayors and figuring out, okay, what's what's the strategy? What what can we do as a city um, to prepare ourselves for, for something like well, this happening? What, what are you talking about? What's on the table, I guess, you know, in terms of strategies? Um, well, luckily in California, given um, Sanctuary State um, and the amount of progressive folks, just really talking about non-cooperation, talking about focusing resources on, on things that actually matter for the safety of the community. But again, I don't think anyone yet has a solution as to what happens when the federal government comes and does raids um, in your community. Um, so we're just doing what we can to ensure that while it's not happening, that folks know that and they're able to continue to communicate with us and let us know when crimes are happening and things of that sort. Is Stockton a sanctuary city? Our policies are consistent with sanctuary cities, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I heard there was legislation at the state level so that California is considering becoming a sanctuary state, which I think is also interesting. That Would that impact uh, your work as well? Yeah, it would impact our work insofar as it would make the whole state a target versus a particular localities or particular localities that have been more vocal about their policies. Um, my only... Not my only fear, my only concern would be if there is um, a drop-off in federal funding or federal funds are pooled, that the state's ready to kind of buffer that or kind of make cities whole. I read that the Orville Dam in California, due to all the rain, ended up uh, threatening to flood a bunch of homes, Mm -hmm. 200 homes, and people were evacuated. Governor Jerry Brown wrote, it's always a perfunctory, asking for federal assistance, declaring a state of emergency. We've heard of this on the news. It happens all the time. And he was refused. And the reason was because there's undocumented immigrants, 
well, you know, being hit. You know, I've never heard of that. Uh, I think your fears about the the funding, that, that seems like it's already happening. I want to kind of go back. I, you know, you mentioned uh, you have a lot of sensitivity to the issues, immigration, issues of reentry, what you call second chance populations. How did you get that level of sensitivity to bring that into elected office? Mm-hmm. A lot of it just comes from lived experience. So I'm growing up in poverty, having a teenage mother, um, going through a lot of the government entitlement programs like Head Start or WIC, um, welfare for a couple of years. You grew up in Stockton. Right? Grew up in Stockton, born and raised. Um, and then having a father who's been incarcerated my whole life, a lot of these issues are personal issues I get to now work on and on the, from the policy side. Um, so I think that's where a lot of it comes from, but also just having a deep level of empathy. Um, not being an immigrant, but understanding and having deep relationships with immigrant communities and and being okay with what I don't know <laughs> and not having to be the face of every issue, but being it's more important to be the ear on it, most issues, I would argue, than, than the face, meaning I spend a lot of time just listening to people, trying to understand their experiences, trying to understand the pain. And then taking that, I'm able to set the policy table and bring those to whatever it is we decide to do. I think it's pretty incredible to go through uh, challenging upbringing and be able to transform that into empathy and community power. What, what do you, what do you uh, credit uh, to your ability to really hold on to that and, and be a force for that? Yeah, I, I think it's really a God thing. I, I think I was listening to T.D. Jakes, and he talked about um, the sermon was the— the serum is in the venom, meaning that um, the, the, the oftentimes the things that hurt us the most are can be used to bring healing to others. So and when I heard that, I said, oh, my gosh, that's such a good frame and so useful. So I I can't think of operating any type of way, so that's why I'm uncomfortable saying it's necessarily just me. Um, but I think I've been afforded a lot of opportunities to work at some of the best companies and some of the biggest places, go to one of the best schools, and with that amount of opportunity, um, every time sitting at one of those tables or being in, in the room where it happens, like the Hamilton song, I realized that having that lived experience or at least bringing, bring, or at least bringing a sense of empathy has been very helpful um, to bring more nuance or bring the humanity in. So it's not just some theoretical debate about poverty or mass incarceration, but it's like, no, this is how it impacts everyday people, and this is why it's important. Mm. And as people, uh, the immigrant communities and others who are uh, directly, the Muslim community who are directly impacted by these executive orders and actions uh, at the federal level. What's your message to people to have hope? Because a lot of us, including myself, were just, you know, devastated um, in the last uh, few months. Yeah, well, I think the message we've been sharing has been threefold. Um, number one, on the more nerdy side, at least we have a system of federalism, which is ironic because 60 years ago, federalism was against. Um, state rights and all these things were against <laughs> inclusion, equity, um, fair decision-making policies and practices. But now, 50, 60 years later, the pendulum has swung back. And I think federalism is a saving grace because in local municipalities and in states, we can enact policies that are more progressive and more in line with the just vision of what this country is and what this country um, should be. So what are the other two? The yeah. federalism is a, that's a, that's a good one because basically... What you're saying is the state of California can do a lot. Mm. Um, and, and, and the other two is, especially in, in the Stockton context, when we're talking about Muslim folks or immigrant communities, we're not talking about a fringe group. We're talking about 30 to 40 percent of the population. We're talking about a huge part of our community and a huge part of what's good and what makes our community special. Also, just I think for a lot of people, just hearing they hear leadership nationally demonizing them and their group. So to hear their mayor say to hear their mayor go to the mosque. Or for the first council meeting, I changed tradition and had a local imam 
I'll do the opening prayer. Really? Yeah, yeah. For the for the after this, not the spring in, but the first regular regular scheduled business meeting, we had an imam come and do the opening prayer. What was that like? Paint a picture for us. Um, it was for me. It was very deliberate. I said, you know what? All this stuff is. It's before the executive orders, but there was a lot of still like angst and Muslims feeling targeted. The mosque in Stockton had received like some death threats and letters. So I, I went and spoke with the congregation there. And I said, it's important to set the tone. Um, so if I'm about inclusion and, and diversity is our strength, let's start the council meeting with um, the local imam doing the, doing the opening prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, and, and no one better than I. And it was interesting because a local pastor had been told he was going to do the invocation. So, I, But I calmly explained to him. He was like, oh, that's okay, Mary. So I was like, get it. And the more special part, and this is how I learned how much like little gestures, gestures like that matter, is that at 6.15 he had to do his evening prayer. And he had somewhere to pray. You know, I was like, just go pray in the office. So, so huh. uh, unbeknownst to me, he took a picture on Facebook. But was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that the mayor let me pray in his office. And comment after comment after comment from Muslim my Muslim brothers and sisters saying, oh my gosh, this is so great. I'm crying tears of joy. And that's why I realized, like again, this is more more deeper than an executive order. This is really people feeling like their humanity and value mm-hmm. is at stake. So that's the second thing. And, and then the third thing is just understanding that or just sharing with people that there's things that we can do. So it harkens almost back to the federalism point, but understanding that, here, this is what we stand for as a community. This is what we're doing. This is what's being done. This is why Stockton has a chance to be a model to the nation about how do you deal with pluralism and diversity in a way that's not demonizing but unifying. It's interesting because some of the words, the foundational words about democracy <laughs> and solidarity and justice. Those things are now on the table uh, because we have to have conversations about what that needs to look like now. You know, uh, any thoughts in terms of how Stockton, when you say pluralism, but also how does someone in one group show solidarity to the other group? How do we do that? And like, what's, your, what's the secret to that working? Hmm. That, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I, I would say the secret for it working is that it has to be there has to be a level of intentionality to it. Um, so finding, luckily Stockton is not incredibly segregated, so di- different types of people live next to each other. Um, so diversity and acceptance is embedded in our DNA. Like I've gotten no flack for my stances about the need for immigrants to feel like Stockton's their home because it is, um, and no flack for having the imam come pray at the council meeting or pray in the office because. That's their part of the city as well, and they're my, they're my constituents as well. So I think the community is primed and ready. Um, but for us, it's, it's by necessity. We don't have the luxury of demonizing or throwing away a third of our population. We need all hands on deck to really m- help the community reach its full potential. Hmm. I want to, you know, I was really interested to learn that uh, Oprah, she wrote only three checks to support candidates. One was Barack Obama. And one of the others was you. How how did that happen? It's a funny story. This happened in 2012. I was um, I just turned yeah, I was 21 years old. I had just decided to run for office a month before, and she was on campus touring um, her African Leadership Academy students. And we get there. It's myself. I had just got back from Cape Town, so they wanted me to be there to talk about sort of with my vast knowledge of three months of living <laughs> in Cape Town. <laughs> so they had myself, they had a, a, another undergrad from Botswana, um, Jan Barker-Alexander, who invited me to the luncheon, the dean of admissions, the political science chair, and the two girls, and, and, and Ms. Winfrey. 
And we get there, and everyone's trying to impress, like, Oprah. And I'm like, there's no way you're going to impress Oprah. Just, I'm just happy I'm in the room. So <laughs> let me. So I spent a lot of time with the girls because that's what we were there for, trying to get them to see Scanford as an option for them. Long story short, we, we went around the introductions, and I thought it would be a little bit weird or creepy if I said I'm running for city council. Like, I, I thought it would have be, been off-putting for me. So I said, it's not about right. that. So I just talked about the campus stuff. And then the dean of admissions, like, he's also running for city council. And she said, Who? <laughs> and then he pointed at me, and then we had this fascinating 15-minute conversation where she was like full-on campaign, but like, how much how much do you need to win? How much have you raised? How much do you want to raise? Who supports you? Wait, were you surprised that she gave you that, the Oprah attention? Yeah, yeah. She, I was shocked. She was like, because she listened in. <laughs> she, had, she was dialed in. She said, who supports you? Who doesn't support you? Tell me about Stockton. Why Stockton? Are you from Stockton? What do you want to see Stockton become? And then she said, you know I helped Obama get elected, right? <laughs> like jokingly, <laughs> and I was like, I've, I've heard as much. They said, and Senior Booker too. I mean, he was mayor at the time, and uh, Mayor Booker too. I was like, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that as well. And then finally, after ten minutes, she said, "Okay, where do I write a check? How do how do I donate?" Wow. And we we're all stuck, like, whoa. And I think for me, what was special was that that was before I had just announced three weeks ago, three three weeks prior to that. Right. So that was before you were still a senior. I was you? still a senior. I was still in school. So it was before anything, and she just was moved <laughs> and said. I'm going to go ahead and donate. And doing so has been such a blessing, and it's kind of helped catalyze efforts, brought attention, and really gave us a lot of momentum. Yeah. And uh, a lot of pressure, but, yeah, <laughs> but a lot but, of momentum as well. well. To, what, what do you think you said in that room that day that got her? I, I don't know if it's what I said. I think it's like being authentic and just really being myself, like spending time with the two girls who probably had the quote-unquote lowest status in the room, but spending the majority of my time on them because we were there for them um and then just hearing kind of my love for the city things i wanted to do um being from there i think really resonated here with her as well but it was interesting people think i told her about my mom being a teenager my father being incarcerated that never came up we, really <laughs> yeah we didn't talk about any of that we talked about stockton <laughs> 2012 what do you want to do what's going on how are you how, how are you going to plug in what are your plans and and she became our first big supporter. It's a phenomenal first big supporter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so blessed. Um, Do you still stay in touch? Two years ago in 2014, she was at an event. And I'm like, she's busy. She probably recognizes the name, probably doesn't recognize me, which is fine. But I want to at least so go pay my respects because I didn't realize as a 21-year-old what a cultural icon she was and what a tastemaker she was. So I just was happy for the check, but I had no idea what it would mean for everything. Right, um, so right. I, so I go, I walk in and she's talking and she looks at the door and she's like, Councilman Tubbs, how are you? How is Stockton? Have you fixed everything yet? And then before she left, she like shook me and was so excited. Wow. What's the thing that you could tell Oprah that you did in the time that you've held office? Well, a couple a couple of things. Uh, we, I was able to shut down, work with the police department, code enforcement, the community to shut down a problem liquor store. That I've been a cancer in that community for the past 25 plus years. And on, I met with a group of grandmothers who had started a community organization in one of my first meetings. And they say, Mr. Tubbs, don't tell us nothing until you shut that down. People have been talking about shutting it down for a while, and it hasn't. So doing that was a legitimacy for me and credibility, but also I felt good to see, you just saw the pride on those grandmothers' faces as if they just had a, a grandson seeing that liquor store shut down. Um, so that and then working closely with our police chief to create an office of violence prevention. Um, because what I didn't mention earlier, but my cousin was murdered in 2010. No, oh, I'm so sorry. It's terrible. But that's what made me decide to come back to Stockton and run for office. Um, it was really motivated by 
his death, but also realizing that so many young people of color particularly were being robbed of, of, of chances to reach their full potential because of structural factors and in, in choices. What was your cousin's name? I'm um, Donnell James. Donnell. Oh. He'd be proud of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so creating an Office of Violence Prevention with our police chiefs really think through how do you identify um, the, the pe- folks before they become victims or perpetrators of violent crime, how do you identify them and, and, and give them opportunity and a chance um, to change it if they want want to. So that's been around since 2014. And those are probably the two things I'm most proud of. I remember that uh, you also ended up banning the box, but you did it in kind of an unusual way. So banning the box is uh, removing the requirement to reveal uh, convictions when applying for a job with the city. How did you ban the box uh, what was your technique? Yeah, I think it was a series of Socratic questions, if I remember correctly. I remember um, meeting with our old city manager at the time and saying, hey, um, ban the box, let's do it, and all these bureaucratic <laughs> things in the way. And I said, well, let me know what's different between our policy and the policies of these six cities that have banned the box. And then doing that research, we, he realized that we hadn't banned the box. So then he said, okay, I'll just change it in our... It was a more of an administrative change than a big, messy policy fight. He just added in our equal EEOC report as one of the things we were doing to kind of diversify the city's workplace, and it was done. He just <laughs> literally changed the Microsoft Word file or whatever. Literally. <laughs> he said, that's what we're going to do. It makes so much sense. And he talked about his own past, and he said, well, if I hadn't been given second chances, I might not be where I am today. Um, and he was like, it makes no... And then when he started dig- digging deeper into the research, it makes no sense that people are disqualified for the jobs that the city has. I mean, how many of these kind of this is a big change because the reentry population is significant in Stockton and to have an opportunity to apply for a job without that holding you back or taking you out of the uh, candidate pool. That's got to be big. Yeah. So now what I'm trying to do is, is using that as leverage to get kind of the private sector to also follow suit and saying, listen, the city did it. The city, we have a bunch of federal money. We were the most liable for everything. And we took this chance. Because, number one, folks deserve second chances. And, number two, because they're a part of our community. If folks don't have jobs, they're going to recommit um, and, con- and exacerbate existing crime issues. Well, what kind of uh, reception are you getting in the private sector? Slowly but surely. We have a couple who have um, Golden State Lumber has been a great partner. So we worked with them, Fathers and Family, Sawa King, a nonprofit, and Sierra Health and California Wellness, I think, to do a real pipeline to jobs for folks who have records. Um, and that's been ongoing for two years. And the, the regional manager will tell you some of my best employees come from this population because they're not inherently <laughs> different from anyone else. And oftentimes, given the lack of opportunity, really maximize the opportunities that they're given um, and are super smart, resourceful, um, hardworking employees. You have some friends in the tech sector, don't you? Yeah. One of your good friends has founded a tech company, right? Yes, so yes. What's that like to be a millennial and know people that run these uh, very well-known tech companies and at the same time advocate for things like Ban the Box. Do you feel like that those connections are helping you make greater headway? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think more so now that I'm mayor um, and trying to get people to think through ph- philanthropically, how do you make an impact and benefit the community or society broadly that has helped you reach your level of success? So it's been very special to... And I feel a real blessing to be able to traverse such diverse worlds and feel equally comfortable. So I could talk to my friends who are in VC or who are big tech people about Stockton, but really humanize it in a way. So it's not just some 
caricature of an urban community, but a real living, breathing, vibrant one that has potential and that has opportunity. So, and also because they follow some of the work that they've also become more educated on different issues that maybe they weren't previously. I was wondering about, uh, clearly you are this emerging star on the national stage and and highlighting Stockton and the work that you're doing both on the policy and also, as you say, highlighting how you can set the tone in in a city. Do you think there's a lot of other Michael Tubbs and uh, Michaela Tubbs out there uh, who just need a chance, an opportunity to to uh, you know, run for office in their own city and uh, do the kind of work that you're doing? Absolutely, and that's what motivates a lot of the work I do now is just understanding that, yes, I worked hard, yes, I did this and that, but so much of it was having opportunities I and mean, giving the chance and giving the platform to really show what was possible and what could be done. So I, I, there's a whole, in every community, there's a bunch of Michaels and Michaelas, and the issue is probably that they, if they came from neighborhoods like mine, they probably go to, under-resourced school, there's a lot of barriers <laughs> before they can get to the point where they're able to make an impact. And that's why I view the role as government. Um, I say all the time, government can't do everything, but that's not an excuse to do nothing. Mm. And a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of school, like the ecosystem of folks' lives, so schools, communities, parks, rec activities, a lot of those things are government actual choices. Like government actually has some <laughs> control and influence over those things. Mm. Um, so figuring out the ways the levers in which we can pull that we have control over, how do we do it that kind of lifts barrier but increases opportunity? What do you think it's going to take, um, particularly in this era where mm. uh, so much action can happen locally? Um, what's it going to take to lift up the generation of elected officials coming from communities of color, coming from uh, challenged communities uh, to translate all that into policy? I think a lot of it is the work you guys are doing in terms of telling the story, showing a different narrative and highlighting things because – what I've noticed, even as powerful as the policy stuff, is just for people to be able to point and say, well, look, Michael Tubbs is mayor of Stockton. Why can't I be mayor? The amount of people who are now wanting to run for city council or wanting to be on planning commission or wanting to be on school board in the city are brilliant people who traditionally felt the political system in Stockton wasn't something that they had access to. Um, so that, 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 that's a huge legacy, and I think just showing folks what's possible locally um, and highlighting people who are doing the work locally is, is a huge help. What's it like being a young mayor? I was at the um, U.S. Conference of Mayors a couple weeks ago, and they're going to kill me for saying this, but I walked in. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they look like mayors. I don't look like, I don't look like a mayor. Um, so it, it's, wait, wait, what do you look like if you don't look like a mayor? A lawyer. Is it, you not like even a, a lawyer. lawyer. I, um, I've got an actor, rapper, any other stereotype of, <laughs> of a young black man. Um, but... It hasn't really hit me that I'm the mayor, if that makes sense. And it's been a, it's been a month already, but um, it's just it's, it's uh, I pinch myself every day, like oh I'm the mayor, like we could actually we could actually I don't have to ask, like, we could just do, or I could build consensus, but 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 I'm the mayor, and I think I'm the mayor of Stockton, a, a, his, a city historically which hasn't been the most forward thinking or progressive, which is why you have one black mayor in 150 plus years of a city. Really? Um, yeah. So. And that's be, that one mayor being me. So, oh, <laughs> you're the one black mayor. Yeah. that ever was in, in ever in the Stockton, city of Stockton, right? Yeah. That's, so. But uh, the black community and community of color is uh, the majority of the population. Yeah, so the black community is twelve percent, but the city is sixty five percent people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there a special burden or responsibility that you feel coming from your generation, you know, as mayor? 
Yeah, we have to deliver. Um, and the quality of life has to improve. And I think the pressure is more internal than anything. Um, but again, it's not some other community. It's my community. It's my folks. It's, it's my neighborhood. It's kind of the, the place that I, I grew up from. And I've lived every year of my life from minus to four. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all the attention and all the um, relationships and with some of the resources I have access to, figuring out a way that we can say Stockton is dim- it's evidence it's better than it would have been, but for Michael being mayor. So that's a lot of pressure because as mayor, I'm a convener primarily, and I don't get to have direct control over too many things, but it's a challenge that I've taken, that my whole team has taken with an understanding that time is finite. We have up to eight years. Um, We're fighting issues that are 50-plus years long. So, But what do we do in terms of building institutions that outlast the eight years but kind of get us on the path towards prosperity and success? Right. So a lot of pressure, but it's it's the job, and it's what I signed up for, so I'm excited. Right. Do you miss being with the kids? I mean, you were a teacher for years. Oh, I, I'm in the classroom at least once a week. It's my zen. Um, just hearing their hopes, their dreams for the city. It reminds me all the time that that talent and intelligence are really universal, but resources aren't often aren't, and that our students are brilliant, resilient, strong, and they experience being young in the city differently. Mm. Um, so I'm 26, but I'm not really 26, if that makes sense in terms of my life. Um, so hearing how they experience the city as 18-year-olds and as young people and things they want to do is very helpful. Like what? Um, like basic things. Like I didn't realize we were doing this like collective impact strategy in my council district, for example. And I didn't realize how much young people wanted an outlet for civic engagement. Hmm. till one of my youth organizers started doing park cleanups. Now once a month, she's able to get 110 kids to paint parks. And they painted every park in my district. And interesting, the graffiti has a comeback. But there's like college pennants and motivational quotes. And the, the students design it themselves. We give them no direction. We just give them paintbrushes. And they've beautified all these parks in my former council district. And that's it. And that was on my radar. I didn't think, I was like, y'all want to do this? But it's fun for them. All I have to do is give them pizza and hot Cheetos. And, and seriously, and it's it's all day. They're painting. They're having fun. They're on Snapchat. They're on Instagram. This generation coming up is something else. It's different. Mm. Uh, they seem uh, more ready to work. Oh. Um, I don't know, social justice oriented. Do you agree? Well, at least the, the, the folks I come in contact with. Um, like, so my campaign was powered by, we had 50 to 60 youth organizers that we paid in hot Cheetos who, <laughs> seriously, who would phone bank, Three hours, knock on doors for three hours. But it was not arduous. It was fun. Yeah. They were so excited to be part of something. They were so ex- they felt like they were actually had agency in the future direction of their city. And watching that was really powerful and, and it's still motivating. Like we had all these quote unquote kids, these young people, these high school students who were actively being a part <laughs> of right. changing their, their their city. Right. Um, yeah. No, that's beautiful. How do you keep grounded? I mean, I do meditation. What do you do? Um, I pray, and I'm involved in some pretty hilarious group chats with folks who aren't political. So my family has an amazingly funny and often annoying group chat because it goes off all day long. Is it the WhatsApp kind of thing, or is it uh, just a a traditional chat with it? Yeah, they're not that hip. So it's literally a (laughs) group message that has... Political rants to why was Michael's suit wrinkled on TV? <laughs> when is Michael going to get a haircut? To can you pick this up? It's like really so grounding because it's not the mayor's not on the group chat. Michael is, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Michael gets it like everyone else. And then a lot of my friends from school, we have hilarious group chats where where uh, why am I in this meet? Like it's really funny stuff yeah, <laughs> that right, like yeah. it's so that 
kind of allows me to escape some of the political stuff. I'm like, oh, that is funny. Like his supervisor sent him a snarky email, ha ha, and, yeah. and <laughs> right. stuff like that's incredibly grounded. And then praying, and then really spending time in community. Um, so I spend a lot of time, not just with donors, but with like organizers or gr- the grandmothers on the block and, and people like that and really kind of just sitting down, listening to them, spending time with them. Cause I, because they're going to be in Stockton longer than my eight years mm-hmm. and they've been there longer than my 26 years and they have such love and such investment in this place that, that I try to honor them. Um, and sometimes just by spending time, they, they keep me grounded because I'm, as I'm often reminded, they have shoes, dresses, clothes older than me. Um, <laughs> Do they use that line on you? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> my vice mayor uses it too. I got shoes older than you, but it's out of love. It's like, we've been here. Um, <laughs> and you can respect that. Oh, it doesn't yeah. It doesn't feel like a put down. No, 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 because it comes from a place of love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, mentors, any other elected officials that are kind of showing you the way? Or Yeah. So Steve Phillips, a big mentor of mine. Um a lot of elected official friends, Mayor Kevin Johnson in Sacramento, just in terms of what he was able to do with the same kind of governing structure to elevate the status of Sacramento. Um, I talk to lots of mayors all the time, so like Mary Asia Brown in Compton, Mayor Gilliam in Tallahassee. Um, been in a couple of phone calls with Secretary Castro. Um, like who surprised you that is cool, grounded? Got the right politics. Who 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 uh, did you meet that was like, oh? This I think is... all the folks I just mentioned, and then another one is my good friend Matt Haney, who's on the school board for San Francisco. And I all, what I like about all the, the folks I mentioned, there's such a purpose to the work, but they're also just not too serious about being a politician. Like I'm not, they're they're their name first and their position second, and mm. I think oftentimes in politics it switch, meaning that some people are. Mayor Tubbs before they're Michael Tubbs, comma the mayor, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that distinction is important because if you're, if you if your title is your identity, then you're not going you're not going to be as willing to make hard choices or take risks that may put that identity in 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 conflict with with something. Because if you if you lose, you don't have it no more. That's right. right. Well, it's the definition of public service, right? Mm. <laughs> you serve the public and you serve it in different ways, and so the title is just a, it's, it's supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to be a permanent thing. Oh, yeah. Despite so, the fact we had some people in office for a really, really, really long time, including California. Uh, where, but, but I would say a lot of those folks are exemplary um, public servants, and they're people I look up to. And I'm always like, okay, what are they working on? How do they answer this? What are they doing? Um, just to get ideas. All right. This or that. Uh, my Your fellow millennial, <laughs> our producer, uh, Lulu, wanted me to, you know, she's giving you a series of options to choose from. Do not think about it too long. Okay. okay. Android or iPhone? iPhone. That was quick. I've never used an Android. Call or text? Text. <laughs> oh, please, don't call me. Everyone knows. Or don't text me like I'm going to call. Wait, wait. All right, I got to ask you something else. Do you use Signal? I don't know. <laughs> okay, the electronic, the EFF, Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation. Okay. Um, and some other tech companies came up with a very secure texting you know, that you can't, they can't be hacked oh. into. Oh, called man. Signal. Signal, I need to, So yes. you need to get hooked up, Mayor. That's my next thing, Signal. Signal. Okay, all right. Twitter or Facebook? Well, Twitter is different. Like, I use it different. I use them differently. You are kind of a... You tweet a lot, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This Gen Xer can't... Okay, you, could, you tweet... Yeah, you tweet, tweet random, random stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you do your own tweets? Yeah. How do you do that? How are you both Mayor and Master Tweeter? I, I think it's just growing up with it. I do it for the culture. It's just, it's just part of it. Okay, I was. I, but I like Snapchat more than both of those. 
You do? You do a Snapchat. Yeah, I love Snapchat. Okay, because uh, uh, the the last episode of our season one, Center uh, Booker, who I've known for way back, I said, okay, uh, I'm Gen X just like you. We graduated same class. How is it you know you know Snapchat? And he was just like, let's just do one now. <laughs> and he just did one. I go, wait, that's it? He goes, yeah, that's it. I go, okay. All right, Snapchat. You're Snapchat. Oh, Snapchat. All right, all right I'm going to get on it, and then I'm going to follow you. Okay. okay. Grilled or crispy? Grilled. I'm on this new healthy thing in 2017. You're, are you vegetarian? No. Okay. But so grilled chicken. Grilled chicken would be. Okay, that's good. Music festival or film festival? Music festival. Did you see the Oscars? No. Have you seen Moonlight? Yeah, I saw it. Um, they had a screening in Palo Alto not too long ago. Yeah. What'd you think? I, it, for me, I liked how they showed the complexity of black masculinity, number one, but I was also more impressed with the way they didn't they show black poverty and, and some pathology, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like a caricature to me. It felt real. Yeah. Like, you know, when I watch things like Precious, and I, I'm like, that's not real. But Moonlight seemed like very real. Like, this is how poor black folks, some poor black folks live. And it felt it felt really human. The humanity was preserved. And mm. there was some nuance there. Yeah. Like, even with the mom. Yeah. Well, what about the mom? From what I remember, she was, I think she had some, like, mental health issues. She wasn't the most supportive, but they still showed ways in which she was still a good mother. Mm. And she wasn't just, like, some caricature of, like, this welfare crazy queen, but she was, like, a very complex human being. Well, speaking of feeling real, you are real. You're the real deal. I want to thank you, uh, Mayor Michael Tubbs, Mayor Stockton, for joining us on Democracy in Color. We're just so excited to be uh, behind you as you do great things in your city and— Model for the nation. Well, thank you, Alan. Stockton will definitely be the turnaround model for the nation. That's that's the goal. Here, here. Democracy in Color is a project of Power Pack Plus. This episode was recorded at 25th Street Recording in Oakland, California, and produced by Lulu Matute, edited by Gabe Shepard. Special thanks to Cameron Burns, Daniel Lopez, and every player on Team Tubbs, and of course to the brilliant, passionate Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs. You can listen to future episodes at democracyandcolor.com, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And please connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter. Not on Snapchat. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. So until next time, thanks for joining us. Quick update on Democracy in Color, because we've been busy, even though uh, people are asking me, where's the podcast? (laughs) We've been doing stuff. Uh, uh, We hosted the first ever DNC chair forum in D.C., the top candidates to run the Democratic Party, including Congressman Keith Ellison and Tom Perez, who are now the vice chair and the chair of the party, were there. And the thing about this forum is we asked them specifically about race, because race matters deeply um, in our understanding of how politics works. And uh, the Republicans and uh, those who are uh, representing them, I won't say names, (laughs) uh, they are uh, using race uh, in a terrible way. And uh, we know that the new American majority, we want to understand what people who want to run the party are going to do about engaging the new American majority, because we know that we have enough numbers to win. So stay tuned for an exciting new multi-state plan that's going to pinpoint where we need the resources, the volunteer effort, and we need to win some 60 counties in uh, 17 states 
in order to retake the White House in 2020 and uh, have some wins in 2018. We've got a plan that's focused on pumping up our political power. The fight has never stopped, and we're going to continue to work to transform the Democratic Party, to transform our nation, and to reflect the kind of country that we believe in and we want.